0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. I'm here today with Deborah Olatangi. Debra is a dynamic international public speaker, award-winning poet, youth innovation board member, bold activist, Black female founder, author of Unleashing Your Innovative Genius, High School Redesigned, and host of the Voices of Disruption podcast. She is also a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania. So thanks for joining me today, and thanks for chatting with me, Debra. It's really nice to see you. Of course, thank you so much. First, I want to acknowledge that you're a young Black woman during a very challenging moment in history. Um, And I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me and also just ask, before we really dig into a lot of your work, ask how, how or if the Black Lives Matter movement has impacted your life and your work or shifted anything that you've been working on?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say that the Black Lives Matter movement has an incredibly strong effect on my life. And primarily, I think I would take it back to my beginning years in education, because in high school, we didn't really talk about advocacy or activism. And when I happened to stumble upon it during a summer program that I did at the University of Delaware, where there was a Women's March going on, I didn't really understand like what people were talking about. I didn't understand the yelling or the protesting or anything. It was my first encounter with it. And so similarly with that small section of the Women's March, I feel like a lot of the activism that we've been able to do in 2020 has gone digital. And so in the time that I was able to engage in more physical protesting and more physical action, I think I've learned a lot about the value of organizing other people around issues that really matter. And with Black Lives Matter, it has been very, very hopeful for people to realize that these are problems and issues that have been happening for a really long time. It isn't just 2020. It's, it spans this entire, I would say the entire history of our existence. We've always had to be yelling about how important Black lives are and understanding that matter is just the minimum. There are so many more things and resources that need to be allocated towards the Black community. And that's specifically why I'm really excited to be working in healthcare and in healthcare policy to make sure that a lot of the needs of my community are being addressed and talked about.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Have you yourself been doing any organizing or collaboration or creating actual protests and movements as well?
1: So over the summer, I did decide with a couple of friends, my twin sister and a friend that I met during Girls State, we joined together to write a letter to our leaders in Delaware. And it actually led to the passage of a HR bill, I'm pretty sure it's HR bill 150, which was a ban on chokeholds in Delaware and a lot more um, justice towards the way that the police treats our community and a lot more protection around our citizens. And so uh, over the summer, I was able to engage in a couple of digital protests, especially the ones for Breonna Taylor. And even now in the fall, there was a day of solidarity where we were all wearing purple and making sure that people were still talking about the conversation with Breonna Taylor and making sure that she wasn't just a debate question or wasn't just An offhand topic of the summer, you know, she was a whole human being. And so I think that I was able to engage with the movement in that way. And then also engaging with other activists on a panel, I was able to talk about how to even grieve as a black person and what protesting looks like, because there isn't one way to protest. And I think that's something that people have come to realize that you can't ask people to act one way or another if the government isn't even treating us like human beings. And that has been something really eye opening to me, because I've been able to find community with other people who have come to the agreement that the social contract has been disrupted and it has been, you know, not taken and taken seriously by the right people. And so when people act, when people act out, that's how they see it. When people are protesting, when we're getting angry, when it turns to a situation that, you know, people might not expect, there has to be some grace there. There has to be some understanding. And most importantly, there has to be policy and action and bills passed so that we don't keep yelling and have no, you know, conversation.
0: Yeah, I think you said a couple of really important things there. Uh, We said a lot of really important things. But one of the things that really resonated with me is that we're all humans. And just that core being and that core belief and that core understanding that we're all humans, and we're all inherently the same. And the system has been set up to be really oppressive to a whole segment of the human race, where we're all we all have families. We all have children. We all are mothers and brothers and sisters and daughters. And and we need to understand that we should all be treated the same because we we all have those same emotions, all those same feelings. We're all the same people. But you're right. I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can move past yelling and speeches and protests and carrying signs into actual movement and change and understanding. I think that's the goal for any protest movement, but definitely um, as we move towards equity and equality, it's really important. But you have done that not only as a Black Lives Matter activist, but also as a high school student and completely wrote a book on how you would redesign your experience in high school. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that and share, you know, was there a teacher or was there a class or was there a specific event that made you sit back and look at your education and go, wow, this should be redesigned. We should do this differently. This really isn't working for me or a lot of my peers. I think people like me, definitely. I I went through high school. It was super boring. I had maybe one teacher that I remember and it was just something you had to endure to go on to somewhere else. Um, But you took it upon yourself to like say, Hey, how can we redo this? So can you tell me about that process or what
1: brought that change? Yeah. So it was my sophomore year when I did the Grip Tape Learning Challenge. And that's the, the board member that I'm a part of. That's the board that I'm on, the youth, the youth Leadership Board. And so with Grip Tape, they give you $500 to learn whatever you want. And so I took on the learning challenge. I applied, I'd heard about it when I was 14. So I was super excited because the eligibility is from 15 to 19. And so the year before I was actually able to apply, I was thinking about all the ideas that I wanted to do. And I really was excited to dive into unstructured learning that I would design entirely by myself. And so I decided to learn about photography because it was something I was interested in ever since I was nine. And it was very transformative. I was able to completely create an experience and then also connect with the people who I decided to take pictures of and also learn different words like exposure and aperture and all these photography terms that I never would have learned in my STEM-based high school And after having that completely designed experience that I was able to lead, I was like, this is what education should feel like. You know, I should feel so excited to dive into whatever I'm studying in high school. And it shouldn't be an after school activity or it shouldn't have to be with an outside organization because this is what really excites me and makes me really, really happy. And then in the spring or it was It was in the very beginning of my my sophomore year, I actually failed a biology pop quiz. And this is actually the story that I even tell in my keynote for failure to fortitude. But I failed a pop quiz. And there were so many more that came after it. It wasn't the the first time and it wasn't going to be the last time either. But it was a particular quiz where I got in a 68 and I just sat back and I was like, what does this even mean? Like, what is the meaning of this number? How does it affect me? Like, what does it mean going forward? And, you know, looking back now as a college freshman, obviously the number doesn't mean that much. I'm still continuing to grow and learn and connect with people. But when I was a freshman, when I was a sophomore at that time, I was just like, this number means a lot. And it means like failure. That's what it symbolizes. But What am I actually learning from it? Is my education just this number? Can it be qualified just through two digits? And so when I realized that it wasn't just me having this problem of thinking, what does this number even mean? And what is the purpose of education? I started to have conversations with my classmates and peers, and we were just thinking, you know, there has to be a way for this experience to be more immersive. And we can't keep telling these horror stories or these cautionary tales to the underclassmen or the kids who are coming up before us of, here's how to survive high school. We shouldn't have to survive a living environment or a school environment that's supposed to be teaching us about ourselves. And so when I kind of put it into that context and started talking about it to some of the mentors that I was able to connect with through GripTape, I realized that it sounded radical, but redesigning education was already happening with students. It was just on a much individual level. And I think most people would see them as coping mechanisms, but the best way to see it, like when I saw it between my friends and some peers outside of school, was finding modes and finding different organizations that actually excited us, that actually made us excited to learn, to interact with. That was the actual learning experience that we were having. And so when I realized that redesigning education was already happening and that there was a way to bring that actually into our classroom so we weren't wasting, you know, seven hours of our time for five days a week going to school every single day just to, you know, sit down and go through this robotic motion of how to actually learn. That was when I made a connection with, you know, maybe I actually could redesign this entire experience. Maybe I could create something that is not just enjoyable but also benefits my community. And so that's kind of where the idea of the book came out of and originally that's what I was trying to accomplish with SLIP, which is the organization that I founded, the student leadership initiative program. But from the experiences that students were having with SLIP because I had to build the entire curriculum. I ended up building it with my twin sister like what kind of values we wanted to teach people about like goal setting and networking and professionalism and you know, understanding how you see the world and how that affects, you know, the way you interact with your education. And I was like, we're only able to help 15 to 20 students, or like as the numbers continue to go on, maybe 12 to 20 students throughout the year. But I want this to help every single high schooler, you know, I want to be able to give a high schooler something that they can use from the freshman year, even if it's not the freshman year, even a senior could read this book and completely have a new way of viewing their education. I want to create something like that That just empowers them and spurs them to take the kind of action that we were trying to encourage kids to take and slip. And so that was kind of where the idea of the book came from. And at the first thought of it, I was just like, this is crazy. Am I actually going to write a book? You know, I have all this this excitement towards the project and I'm going into my junior year and I have senior year coming up with college apps and everything, but I really committed to the process. And it was so much fun to do because it was yet another project that I designed all by myself, that I had all the direction and creative ability to craft. And I think it was those moments where I realized that I was truly learning from these outside experiences like the Grip Tape Learning Challenge and like reading my book in a way that studying for a biology test never would teach me. So, did you actually get credit? Did you get school credit for writing
0: the book? (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the things you talk about in the book is like 30 minutes a week, kind of like the project that you were able to take on and you had autonomy over that. And what would it look like if you had 30 minutes a week to do whatever you wanted to with your education? Like, has that has that type of idea taken hold in your high school? Has your high school taken on any of the ideas that you've created and, and worked to redesign their
1: experience? So we currently have a model like that, and that was where some of the ideas um, spurred from, but it wasn't Like a time for you to learn. It was called activity period. And so during activity period, that's when you would engage with the different extracurricular activities because my school didn't have a very strong after school presence outside of sports. And so that was essentially after school, but in school for only 30 minutes. And even so, with the club with Slip, I ran them on Wednesdays during the 30 minute activity block. It just wasn't enough time and it wasn't nearly as much time as our classes. You know, they're 90 minutes long to fully engage people in a conversation and to ask them, you know, what are your values? What are your virtues? choose what is important to you, and then for them to be able to take action on what they think they're interested in and ask for help in the process.
0: Yeah, one of, I mean, one of the other things you talk about is like asking for help in the process and how do you find a teacher who can be a mentor and an advocate? And I've I've had a bunch of conversations earlier talking with other educators and other thought leaders about how do we as educators shift into being facilitators of learning or learning engineers and working with our students um, So it's really interesting to hear you coming from the student perspective and being like, how do you use your teachers, like see them as tools that you can use for your learning? Um, And so I think that that's a full organic shift for both educators and students to see each other as resources, really, instead of this old traditional where the teacher speaks and shares all of the infinite knowledge and the student sits and absorbs all of the infinite knowledge, right? Or is more like a wall and the knowledge bounces off and goes wherever, <laughs> which I think happens more often than not. Uh, but it was really interesting to hear your perspective or to see that perspective and think about it Of from the student perspective of how do I engage my teachers? How do I get them to facilitate my learning? How do I use them as a mentor? And so I think it's important shift from both the educator and the student perspective. So you're a freshman in college this year. And there's a lot of talk right now about the necessity of college. You've already written a book. You're already speaking internationally. You've launched a podcast. You know, is college really necessary?
1: I think it depends on the person. I think one of the biggest things that I try to drive home in the chapter that I ended up writing about college is that students have to take the time to sit down and ask themselves the same question that you're asking me. You know, what is the value of college to me and what am I actually getting out of it? Am I actually, why do I even want to go to college in the first place? Because I feel like a lot of the societal pressure is on us to go. And because maybe everyone in our family went or, you know, everyone in our high school is going. And it's just that not everyone has to go to college. I'm not saying that college isn't an incredible resource that can really propel you and amplify your voice, but it's not the only resource that you can use to explore your interests, to learn new things, and to connect with other people. I think that's something that a lot of people often see as a hot take or you know an unpopular opinion, but when you look at even with COVID-19, like with how I'm on campus, but my semester is online, that's entirely different from somebody who's at home who has the same semester online. It's not the same experience. And so when you talk about what the meaning of college is, you have to look at what you're actually getting. You know, If you're actually getting the chance to interact with other people and really connect with your professors on a personal level, which is something that you have to personally do for yourself, then of course, there's incredible incredible value in college and there's incredible network for you to explore. But if you're not really taking full advantage of it or you don't feel stimulated and motivated in the environment, you know, probably after the COVID world, whenever we go back to that, (laughs) whenever we create that new one, you know, that's kind of the question that you have to ask yourself, is this a community that I need to continue to interact with? Or can I create this community for myself? Or is there a community that I'm not tapping into that I could be spending this time, you know, developing as opposed to doing these online classes?
0: Yeah, so it's, if I'm hearing you're right, you're saying it's not only the education that you're getting, but you're really getting the network and the community and the connections as well and that it can be equally as valuable for sure. Yeah. So you've done a lot of extraordinary things. Who would you say is your biggest influence or your biggest supporter in your life?
1: Uh, I think influence and supporter would be two different people. Like there's, there's someone who really Mm -hmm. inspires me. and There's someone who supports me really well. Actually, there's multiple people, but (laughs) these are going to be like the two, I guess all star. If I was stuck on an Island with only two people, these are the people I would ask to stay on that Island with me. And the biggest supporter would definitely be my mother. There's no, there's no person who has supported me more than her. She's always motivated me even in, I think in the college admissions process, it's easy to feel pressured. And honestly, like I have some friends who they just, it was a different circumstance because they had pressure from their parents as well. Like what, qualified a good college for them or what was important in terms of what they wanted to get from that experience. And honestly, for me and at college, especially, and in my high school experience, my mother was just an incredible resource to me to motivate me to say, you know, this is your life and whatever you want to create out of it, I'm going to support you. And I don't think that that's something that parents say often. And I even talk about this in the book, like what role parents play in our education. And she really played that cheerleader role really well. And also in asking me what resources I need, what supports could she offer? Like if she didn't have it, if she didn't have the capacity to give me what I needed, she would help direct me to someone who could. And so I think my mother was an incredible, well, sorry, is an incredible supporter even now into my college experience. And I wouldn't trade the relationship that I have with her with the world. And then a really great influence for me is Trevor Noah. If you ask anyone, I'm absolutely obsessed with Trevor Noah. He's just such an incredible icon. And for me as a Nigerian American, like I really am invested in my culture i'm really invested in learning more about the history of nigeria because in my world history class we didn't talk about africa at all and that was kind of a bummer because it's world history and you know africa is a part of the world wow. but yeah I- in having a, a figure like that, like Trevor Noah, who can not only talk about relevant issues to my life as an American, but also bringing in the culture in the deliverance of that and provide comedic relief. That is ultimately something that I strive to do with the relationships that I'm building and making sure that I'm bringing all of myself, all of my authenticity, and just being a source of inspiration for people and also being able to re- relate with them on a level that isn't generic. And I think that that's something that he does extremely well. And I love just how he amplifies people's voices. He's very present and very cognizant of his surroundings and the world that he's in. And he's just, I really, I really want to meet him one day. That is one of the biggest goals that I have, honestly. And he's such a great source of inspiration. Great.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you've listed off a lot of things that I think I aspire to be, and you aspire to be, and lots of us aspire to be. You know, to amplify the voices of others, to be supportive, to be able to find resources when we don't know ourselves what those resources are. Um, You know, I'm both a mother and founder of the school. And a lot of what you said about your mom is what I'm really trying to do for my kids um, and support them and help them to find all of the little things that they might find interesting. And wherever I can teach them, I can, and wherever I can't, finding those resources of the people who can. So that's awesome. Um, and along with that, I, I founded an elementary school um, and inspired by my kids. So most of your work is from a high school perspective. But if you think back to elementary school, do you have a story of a favorite teacher or a project that you remember um, from when you were younger that stays with you?
1: Um, I think there are definitely a couple of experiences that I can point to that were really insightful for me, insightful, sorry. And I think that, maybe in second grade, the elements of we were doing math. And so we had to work towards building a banana split. And it's just one of those little lessons and experiment, like a life lesson that you never realize, you know, really build on. And so we had to solve these different problems to get different toppings on our banana splits. And like, there was a different problem for the banana, there was a different problem for the whipped cream and the M&Ms and the, you know, the caramel syrup. And it just, to me, looking back as a college freshman now, like it's very, it's very much a picture of the building blocks of life. You know, when you want to have an element in your life, whether that's a really strong friendship, like you have to understand what the qualities of a strong friendship are. And like, if there is a problem, you need to problem solve it instead of, you know, taking that hurt or taking any offense that you may have from a friend and not working on it. So it's like having good communication skills. That's one of the biggest foundations of friendship and having the risk. Being able to reciprocate that relationship with someone, that's also something really incredible and really incredibly important for friendship. And so I think that banana split activity as when you bring it down to the metaphoric level and you just strip it down to what it could mean in life, it's just that there are building blocks to things and that you can continue to build on to your learning, to your intelligence, to your network, to what's important to you as long as you keep going, as long as you keep problem solving, as long as you take a moment to identify you know the area that you're in, the situation that you're in saying what is a problem that I can help solve or what is a problem that currently exists and then doing all that you can to create that banana split of a situation so that it can be a really nice snack at the end of the day.
0: I think I might title this interview, life is like a banana split. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I love that. That was
0: great. We have a few minutes left and you recently started a podcast. Um, can you tell us about the podcast? What inspired you to start that and what what change or what
1: movement or what you hope to inspire with it? Yeah. So I started the Voices of Disruption podcast, actually. I launched it on October 5th, but it has been months in the making. <laughs> I started off 2020 with many goals, as many of us did, and a podcast was one of them. And so in May of 2020, I actually entered a giveaway with my podcast consulting coach. Her name is Adrian White, part of FemPower Power Media, and I didn't win the giveaway. And the funny part is like, The fact that I didn't win was the reason why like I was able to have such a powerful experience with creating a podcast to begin with, because during that time, I told her, you know, I couldn't really afford, I couldn't really invest in a podcast consulting program because I didn't even know what my podcast was going to be about. And so in a way, I didn't want to just go into the situation blind without knowing, you know, my why for the podcast, the kind of audience that I wanted to have and, you know, what I would even talk about. And from that, she created, we were able to create the Amplify Melanated Voices Scholarship And so I was the first recipient of the scholarship program. And then she interviewed a bunch of black women with the effort. The whole point was to amplify black women in podcasting and to create more black women podcasters. And now I have like this great podcasting family of other black podcasters, a network and a community that I can really lean onto. And I just can't help but think that it's another metaphor for life. You know, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, and the ones that you lose are the most powerful, you know, things in your life. And I think that With the podcast community that I have now, like there's um, eight other podcasts and we're now, you know, working together, we've been working together, we have this whole connection of having built something from nothing because prior to the entire experience, you know, I didn't have a podcast name, I didn't know what it was going to be about, but I was able to kind of think about what kind of an impact that I wanted to make and then also moving from some of the things that I talked about in the book with student empowerment and youth empowerment, what kind of ways I wanted to continue to amplify the voices of my generation. And that's kind of how the Voices of Disruption podcast was made. And I was kind of playing off the stereotype of how people think that my generation is only obsessed with TikTok, avocado toast, and social media, but we're still making really, really loud disruptions, whether that's in education, climate change, education policy, healthcare. Even in sustainability and fashion, and so I wanted to have a space to not only spotlight that, but to get to know how I can better help serve another person who is a member of Gen Z, and then how my audience can be inspired by the different stories that I'm looking forward to bring to the podcast, while also having a humanizing aspect to it. You know, you know, you may have pursued this really big thing, like some people may see the book as this unbelievable feat. You know, but there are resources that you can use that if you want to write a book, like. Let's be a community that shares what we know. Let's be a community that is knowledgeable of the needs that are existing and be a community that really knows how to connect others to resources. And so that's kind of the hope and the dream for the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to continuing to share some of the lessons that I've learned as a freshman while navigating, you know, college in a pandemic and then talking to other students and even uh, the age, I guess the age cutoff that I have is 24 because that's like in the cusp of a millennial and a member of Gen Z and just learning more and more lessons from people who are in my age group.
0: Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. And it's so great to hear that, you know, by losing a contest, you essentially won a community. um, And it allowed you the opportunity to create something new where there wasn't anything there, because you didn't get what you wanted. And that continual problem solving and that continual innovation is, you know, what we don't always teach in school. And that's where that test, you know, when you fail that biology test, okay, well, I failed the test, it's over. And there's nothing more to really learn from that, like, if you don't, you don't get a contest, well, what can I learn from that? What can I do next? I still want to do this. So how do I solve it? Um, and it's a really good lesson. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for chatting with me. Thanks for spending your time. Um, how can we connect with you if we want
1: to learn more? So you can find me on Instagram at Deb underscore I have a website also, www.debrellisunji.com. There's also different you know sections of the website, like the podcast book reviews, all that stuff. And then I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter at the same handle at Deb underscore and I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm looking forward to connect. Great. Well thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, UP Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.